so we're going to continue this week in the series that we've been doing in the Gospel according to John. And uh, this morning we're coming into the third chapter. We're going to start on chapter 3, so we get straight into it. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a well-known passage, of course, to most of us. And uh, this man, Nicodemus, was a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. Uh, so probably he belonged to the Sanhedrin, which was like the governing body. He was right up the top, okay, a real uh, leader amongst the Jewish people. I think there were about 70, 71 people on the Sanhedrin, and he was probably a member of that. And, um, you know, he was, he was a seeker after the things of God. He was, he was a, a good man. He was a, a, a Bible-believing man. You had to be to be a Pharisee. Uh, and he believed that Jesus had come from God. He saw the miracles that Jesus had done. And so he was a seeker. He was not one of these Jewish leaders that um, wanted to argue with Jesus or set a trap for him in their questions and that sort of thing. He was a genuine seeker. In fact, the Bible says that he came to Jesus by night. Some people think, oh, that's because he was busy during the day, so he came at night. Or others say it's because... Um, you know, Jesus was busy during the day and the crowds were all around him. He wanted some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. But it's mentioned twice more in John's Gospel that he was the one that came to Jesus by night. In other words, he came under the cover of darkness. He came secretly. Um, I say, well, it's better to come by night than not to come at all. Amen. Um, he came by night uh, because then, of course, the Jewish leadership did not like Jesus. They wanted him out of the way. He was a problem to them. And uh, he was the chief cornerstone. And so if they were going to really to build the things of God, they would have to start all again and make him the chief cornerstone. The, the cornerstone is that stone that is a sort of multi-directional, goes out this way, this way and up. And uh, uh, everything comes out from the, the cornerstone. So they would have to rearrange everything, start all over again with Jesus. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted him out of the way. But some in the leadership knew that he was from God. Uh, and so it was a very difficult situation for him because they wanted to, the truth, but they knew that it would be costly if they nailed their colors to the mast. Okay? So he came to Jesus by night. He said, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, we need to say, of course, here that just because people do miracles, it doesn't mean that they're from God. We know that. In fact, we know that um, there will be many deceptive signs, especially as we get towards the end. Uh, Satan, uh, you know, will, will, will cause others that are leading people astray to be able to do miracles. But Jesus did miracles that no one had done. For example, no one has ever turned the water into wine. We looked at that miracle. Uh, no one apart from Peter, who, you know, <laughs> did it for a little while, has walked on water, okay? 
Uh, no one has healed someone that was born blind. That miracle had never taken place. Jesus healed someone that had never seen before and was blind for many decades, but he gave him sight. And so Jesus did many miracles that, that made it clear he was the Son of God. You remember when Moses was sent to Egypt? He was able to do some miracles. He was able to perform signs. And then the Egyptian magicians sort of matched the miracle for miracle until there was one miracle that they could not do. Remember that? And they said, this is the finger of God. And that's how the leadership saw Jesus. Because notice he says, we know. We know, not only me, but we, we know, the leadership, we know that you are from God because nobody can do these things unless God is with him. Now Jesus, as we've seen on a couple of occasions already, knew instinctively what was in man. He knew what was in the heart of man. We saw that with Peter straight away. He knew Peter 100% because of his omniscience. He knows all things. We saw it with Nathaniel. We saw it with those who were following him because they saw the signs, but Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew what was in man. He knew they could be with him one day and, and against him the next day. The people that cried out Hosanna by the end of the week were the ones that were crying out crucify him. So Jesus knew all these things, what was in man, and Jesus knew why this man had come to him. He wanted to know about the kingdom of God. He wanted to know about the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus cut straight to the chase and got to the point. Most assuredly, I say to you, he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. All need to be born again. The good as well as the bad. He was a good man. In fact, he was like that other ruler that came to Jesus said, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? He called him Jesus good, didn't he? He said, good master, what thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Like, what's your level of goodness? True goodness is, is what God is, and no one is that good, apart from Jesus, of course. So he's basically saying that he is the son of God. But he was a good man, and Jesus, you remember, looked at that man, and he loved him. But what did he say to him? One thing you lack. Doesn't matter how good you are, there will be always one thing you lack. You'll fall short. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. All need to be born again. Amen. And this is the first teaching of Jesus in the gospel. We've seen him do miracles. We've seen him cleanse the temple. We've seen him call disciples and so on. But this is the first teaching of Jesus in John's gospel. And the important thing is, it's about being born again. That's the most important truth. You must be born again. You must be born again. I remember reading about John Wesley, who used to often preach on this verse. You must be born again. Until one man said to him, you're always preaching on that text. You must be born again. Why? He said, because you must be born again. <laughs> I'll keep preaching it until you get it, in other words. And uh, this is what Jesus was concerned to bring, most important of all. Get it right up front. You must be born again. Now, this is not given, that is the kingdom of heaven, which is what he was asking about. It's not given automatically on the basis of religious pedigree. That's what the Jews thought. 
If you're a Jew, you automatically are in the kingdom of God. You've got nothing to worry about. In fact, the commentator David Guzik said, some rabbis taught that Abraham stood watch at the gate of hell just to make sure none of his descendants accidentally wandered in there. No, no, you're over here. <laughs> they just automatically assumed that every Jew would go to heaven. And of course, both Jesus and Paul corrected that wrong theology. It's not about pedigree. You must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, Nicodemus was an intelligent man, okay? He didn't think for one moment that Jesus was saying, you've got to go back into your mother's womb and be born again. He was basically saying, can a person really change his way of life? Can an old dog learn new tricks? Can he start all over again as if he had just come from his mother's womb? You know, sometimes we say, don't we? We make this, at least I've said, you know what, if I, if I could live my life over again, <laughs> there'd be many things that I wouldn't do that, that I've done, or and many things that I, I will do that I should have done. If I, if I could live it over again. That's what he was saying. Can, can, we, go, can we really go back to the start, rub out everything that's happened and start all over again, be born again in that sense. In other words, he, was, he thought Jesus was emphasizing a new start, not a new birth. When Jesus said you must be born again, I know that many of you will know this, you'll be familiar with this term. The word can actually mean being born from above. That's the meaning, to be born from above. In other words, it's not that you have to do this or you have to do that, this is something that happens to you before you enter the kingdom of heaven. You had nothing to do with your birth, your natural birth. Amen? If you think you did, let me tell you about the birds and the bees. And... <laughs> you had nothing to do with it. You just arrived. Your father and mother got together and uh, you, were, you, were, you were conceived in the womb, you developed in the womb, and, and then you came forth into this world. You had nothing to do with it. And it's like that in the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a work of God. It's a divine work. It's a work of grace. grace. As birth is the mode of entrance into this world, so the new birth is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's that simple. You must be born Again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now, that's an interesting term. The Bible uses that term, flesh, to speak about mankind disconnected from God. It's flesh. That is, people who are in Adam. Adam was created in the image of God, uh, but of course he poured the plug on that. He sinned. And he no longer had the image of God. He had his own image. And the Bible says that Adam brought forth a son in his own image, after his likeness. That's flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And, and, and the, the, Paul says in the book of Romans, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know that? It doesn't matter what an unsaved person does, what good they do, they cannot please God. 
You say, what about all those who, who you know, work with charities and, and uh, you feed the poor and so on? Yes, they're doing a lot of good to humanity. They're doing a lot of good to humanity. But it, it does not qualify as a righteous work that will be good enough to get them into heaven. Amen? Because it's of the flesh. They've come from Adam and, and, and it's offered, you know, in the flesh. It's, they're not in God. They're not in Christ. It's a good work to humanity. But people don't understand. They think that by their good works, they'll, they'll do enough good to get them to qualify them for heaven. No, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In contrast, the works of those who are in Christ, that is in the spirit, when you're born again, you are now in the spirit. Those works are pleasing to God because they're sanctified by him. Some, people, some Christians always wonder, you know, I wonder whether my prayers were good enough or my, my service was good enough. Friends, everything we do, it's in the name of Jesus. And so it's perfected. It's God receives it. God is well pleased with your prayers. God is well pleased with your service, your ministry, because you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. You are in Christ and everything comes through him as your great high priest and is offered to God in a perfect way. Do you remember um, the Jews always trying to sort of find uh, little, you know, out clauses with the law? Uh, and, and the law says, you know, you, you shouldn't swear uh, or take an oath. Um, and so they said, they, they, they said, no, it's okay if you swear by the altar of the temple, that's okay, you don't have to keep that, that oath. But if you swear by that which is placed on the altar, then you do have to keep it. They were, they, you know, they were kind of just trying to get ways around what they did, say, did and what they said and so on. And Jesus said, what is, what is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Now, he was referring really to, to the golden altar in, in the tabernacle where the incense was laid and it, it ascended to God as a sweet-smelling savour. Jesus is a type of the altar. Amen? He's a type of the golden altar. So what you do, what you say in the... That's why we, when we pray, we say at the end, in the name of Jesus. It's not some sort of magic you know, formula. It's the fact that everything we bring to God is through Jesus, our great high priest, and is perfected before him and is acceptable to him. It's a, a sweet-smelling savour, like that incense that ascends it. Because the altar sanctifies the gift. You're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. If you're in Christ, you're in the spirit. Okay, But he was talking here to a man who was still in the flesh. An in-Adam man, not an in-Christ man, you see. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now we are his workmanship created in Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the works that we do in Christ, they're good works with which he is well pleased. Amen. Now we're going to look at this phrase because Jesus said unless someone is born of water and of the spirit. A lot of interpretations of this. Some people think that it means being born of the water is physical birth. When, when a woman is pregnant and then the waters break, you know, to, to be birthed in that way, in a physical sense. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. I mean, that's, that's a given. <laughs> You've got to be born, first of all. So it's not saying that. And some people think that it means water baptism. And out of that comes another wrong doctrine, which is uh, baptismal regeneration, that unless you're baptised, you're not born again. Well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptised. 
Our baptism is important. Jesus commanded it and, and instructed us to do it, I should say. And, and, and that's the practice because it illustrates a wonderful truth. But salvation is not by baptism. It's by believing in Jesus. Amen? By believing in Jesus only. So what, is, what, what did Jesus mean when he said, unless you're born of water? Always compare scripture with scripture. Let the Bible be its best commentary. Let the Bible interpret itself. So water is consistently used as a symbol for the word of God. It is through the agency of the word that we believe and are saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. No one is saved without hearing and believing the gospel. Amen? Amen. God has chosen through the, what? the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. No one has got saved unless he heard and believed the gospel. You say, oh, people have got saved by seeing miracles. No, they haven't. They, that, the miracles might have got their attention, so they listened to the gospel. But you cannot be saved unless you hear the gospel. Some important truths. Number one, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that our sin demands the wrath of God. God has to react to sin, respond to sin in that way. Otherwise, he would deny himself who he is. He is a holy God. He cannot deny himself. But God is also love and, and he's chosen to put our sin upon his son, pour out his wrath upon Jesus on the cross so that all who believe in him will be forgiven, receive the forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. And, and so when you hear that and you believe it, you are washed in the water of the word. You are born again. Amen. This is how Jesus, uh, in John's gospel, uses the term and also elsewhere in this gospel. So let's have a look at a couple of examples here. Do you remember when uh, Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples? Some people think that that's what we're going to do, wash one another's feet. Well, I better shower this morning, so I'm fine, I'll pass. Um, but of course he wasn't talking about that. If we just read on, you'll see that it has a spiritual meaning. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, typical Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. And look what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean. You are clean, but not all of you. So how were they clean? Well, it tells us in just a couple of chapters, he goes on to explain. He said, you are already clean. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. He revealed himself as the son of God. They put their faith in him as the son of God. They were his disciples. They were believers in him. And, and they were clean because of the word that he spoke to them, which they received. In John chapter 17, he prays to the Father, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Cleanse them, set them apart by your truth. Paul says a similar thing in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with what? The washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. Amen. When you heard the word of God, you believed in him, you were sanctified, you were set apart for God. And when God looks upon you, he sees neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. A glorious church. From our perspective, it's not a glorious church. We see all the problems and, and, and the mistakes and the failures and so on. But from God's perspective, we're in Christ. And he sees us perfect. So being born of water is being born again through believing the word. Elsewhere, we're told that the word of God is one of the agencies in the new birth. There are two agencies. Here's the first one. The word of God. Peter says, since you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been what born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's clear, isn't it? The washing of the water of the word is what Jesus was referring to. James again says a similar thing. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. No one is born again without the word of believing the word of God. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're now born again partakers of the divine nature. Amen. So this Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, right up there, the top echelon of Jewish leadership, was gobsmacked. Jesus just blew away all his previous beliefs about you've just got to be a Jew, you've just got to be, belong to Judaism and, and you're in and that's okay. He said, no, you've got to be born again. Jesus said, do not marvel. But I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus marveled at what Jesus was saying. Like all Jews, he thought he automatically qualified for the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus mentions the second agent of the new birth, the Holy Spirit. That you're born of water and of the Spirit. The word is the seed and the Holy Spirit is the one who incubates the seed resulting in the new birth. That's why we can sow or water the seed. But the Holy Spirit gives the increase. Amen? Amen. That's why we depend upon God in ministry. We, we cannot do All we can do is our part, which is to preach the word, to teach the word, to share the word but we depend upon the Holy Spirit working in the heart. We cannot work in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit can, and he does. The Holy Spirit does that. Now, you don't have to understand everything about it to believe it. It's an invisible, it, it happens invisibly. We see it, it, it takes place in people's hearts and minds and understanding. In both, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the words for wind can also be translated as spirit and also breath, incidentally. In, in the Hebrew, it's the word ruach. So you can use that word for wind or breath or spirit. And in, in the Greek, it's pneuma, pneuma. And, and, and same, it can be translated as wind or spirit. So Jesus said it's like the wind. You can't understand everything about it, but you believe in it. You believe in it. 
Now, you, you compare the two. Both are sovereign. Both are sovereign. They have, a, they have a mind, if I can say that, of their own. They act as they will act, as they choose to act. We cannot control it. We can forecast, <laughs> but we cannot control it. We can't say, oh, I'd love a southerly wind today. It just doesn't work that way. The wind blows where it chooses. And the Holy Spirit is like that. We cannot dictate to the Holy Spirit. Um, neither, do, neither of them consult us. They don't, you know, we don't get together with the wind and we don't get together with the Spirit to say, what shall we do today? You know, as if it's a joint decision. No, they don't consult us. But both are effective. Amen? Look at the city of Darwin. After the cyclone just went through and decimated it. You see the results of it. Whether, whether you believe it or not, you'll believe it when, when it's come through. And, and so it is with the Holy Spirit. You look down through the history of the church, everything that the devil, the world, has chucked at the church and the gospel, and yet the Holy Spirit, like an incredible, powerful wind, just keeps blowing through and breathing life into people. Many people in every generation being born again, despite of all the persecution and the false teaching and every kind of opposition you can imagine, the Holy Spirit leaves a trail of converts behind him. Both are irregular. Sometimes the wind blows softly. You can barely feel it upon your face. And other times it's gale force. I was reading just, just this week about the Chatham Islands, you know, the Chatham Islands. The wind there is, is so powerful at times that, that the trees can bend over double and, and sort of grow back <laughs> into themselves. Just That's how powerful the wind can be. And it's like that with the Holy Spirit, you know? Sometimes you think God is not moving, and then you hear, so, somebody got saved over here, just a gentle breeze over there, someone got saved. But then other times it's like the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people in one day get saved. And what was it? We read in the book of Acts, there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. Amen. And that's revival. You look at the history of revival and, and you see that. You see that sometimes, you know, there's dry patches and periods and nobody's getting saved. And then other times, a whole city can come to Christ. You can, you can read about that, the history of revivals. Interesting, interesting study, actually. I remember hearing about um, the missionary Hudson Taylor, who was uh, on, a, on a boat on his way to China to evangelize. And, and this particular boat, um, for many days, there was no wind. It was a sailboat. There was no wind. And it was just drifting. And it was actually drifting towards a cannibal island. And they could do nothing about it. And they were getting closer and closer. They could see the uh, cannibals, you know, <laughs> heating up the pots, getting out the knives and forks and, you know, putting their bibs on. <laughs> and the captain in desperation came to um, the cabin of Hudson Taylor and says, you're, you're a religious man. Pray. Pray for wind. He said, well, 
He said, if I'm going to pray for when you need to set the sails. He said, well, everyone will laugh at me. We haven't had any rain, uh, any, any wind for weeks. He said, well, if you're not going to set the sails, I'm not going to pray. So he said, okay, I'll set the sails. So he went up and set the sails and he got on his knees. He started praying, started praying. And not long afterwards, there was a knock on his door saying, stop praying. We've got all the wind we can handle. <laughs> See, we are co-workers and fellow laborers together with him. Amen. And that's why we pray. We can sow, we can, we can water the seed. That's what Paul says, I sow and Paulus waters, but God gives the increase. The Holy Spirit blows as he wills. We, we need to work in, in unison with the Holy Spirit. You know, I hate it when I hear people say, oh, I got that person saved, or I'm going to get this person saved. Goodness me, you don't understand. This is, you're born from above. This is, this is a work of God, work of grace. Amen? Humble yourself and be, be, be excited about the fact that you can sow the seed, but God gives the increase. Amen? That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel or the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then he says this, no one has ascended to heaven but he who comes down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now, what Jesus is saying here is only Jesus has omniscience, knows all things. He's come from heaven. We, we are on earth and, and God gives us a measure of understanding. Uh, incidentally, no one has a monopoly on truth. No preacher, doesn't matter how good they are, has a monopoly on truth. Everyone has kind of blind spots, if you like, and, and we all even change our mind from time to time. I used to believe this, now I don't believe that. I believe, I've, I've discovered from the Word that this is what it teaches. So we change our minds and our understanding as we go, go along. You know, nobody's got perfect understanding now. Amen? But Jesus did. He came from heaven to reveal the truth to us. Nicodemus, though a religious leader, did not understand this. Only one who has descended from heaven can teach us. This is the difference between reason and revelation. We need revelation. That's, you know, and God gives that revelation to the humble. The humble he will teach in his ways. Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you have not re revealed these things to the, the wide and the prudent, but to the humble. To the humble. Not to those that went to Bible school. Not to the Nicodemuses and not to, you know, the rulers. When people say to me, I'm going to Bible school, I kind of find it hard to get excited. <laughs> they will learn many things, but when they come out, they'll have to unlearn a lot of things. That's the fact of the matter. I'm speaking from experience. I had to unlearn a lot of things. I had to relearn, sit at the feet of Jesus and receive revelation because he's the one that has total truth. Amen. Likewise, the natural person does not understand the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. You know this if you're speaking to someone who's not saved. They are a natural person. They do not understand 
the things of the Spirit. They might be more intellectual than you are, more educated than you are, but they will not understand the things of the Spirit. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Incidentally, the word know there is the word iado. It's the same word when uh, Jesus said, uh, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of, of heaven. You know, when, when, when things are revealed to us, we say, ah, oh, now I see. That's the meaning, to understand the things of the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God that teaches us. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, get into the habit of using Bible words, biblical words. They have meaning. They're there for a reason. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's what Nicodemus, that's where he was at. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. People might judge you that are not saved, but they're not judging you rightly. Because you're in Christ. And the, 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 you know, what you're bringing forth has come from the Spirit, from Revelation. Okay, let's finish up. Jesus said, if I tell you earthly things, that is, what's necessary now for you to know, the new birth. If I'm telling you this and you don't understand it, how will you understand heavenly things? That is God's plan of salvation for the world, which is what we're going to look at next week. John 3.16, the most well-known verse in Christendom. Amen? God so loved the world. See, that had meaning. The Jews thought he, he loved them and you've got to become a Jew for God to love you. God loves the world. Now that was a mystery. That was not revealed. Paul was the one that actually brought it, the mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles actually being, becoming one body. God's plan for the world. If I'm telling you how to get saved and you don't understand it, how are you going to cope when I tell you God's plan for the world? That's what he was saying. If you don't understand that you must be saved. How will you understand the fuller plans of God for mankind? No one has ascended into heaven to learn heavenly things. So those that tell you they died and went to heaven, just <laughs> ignore them. But I descended from heaven and can teach you. Amen? This is all we need. This is what we need, friends. The Word of God. The Word of God. Remember? That parable that Jesus told, uh, the rich man Lazarus, and the rich man said, you know, if, if, if Lazarus can't come to me to relieve my, my thirst, let him go to my brothers on earth. What did Jesus say? No, they have Moses and the prophets. That was a, a saying for the word of God. If they do not believe this, neither will they believe, even though if one came from heaven. So it's quite amazing. All these people that write books about what they saw in heaven contradict one another. Anyway, I won't go there. I've spoken on that before. Okay. This is where Jesus' authority lies. He is the eternal word come down from heaven. 
So when Jesus descended from heaven, the plan of salvation for the world was revealed. Amen? You must be born again. You must be born from above. It's a, it's a miracle. It's the greatest of miracles. And you and I can take part. We, we've experienced it. If we're born again, if you've received, received Christ, you believe the gospel, you've been born again. You've received the seed that has brought you forth into the kingdom of God, into the new life. It's opened your eyes and imparted the spirit of God to you. You've been born again. And friends, we can preach that gospel. We can share the seed sow the seed and pray the Holy Spirit will move in people's hearts. The wind will blow where it chooses. We may hear of a, a great rushing mighty wind, a, you know, a whole community that's coming to Christ. We may hear of that. But we may also be involved in, in just individuals that have received the Word of God and the Spirit of God has moved upon them and brought forth life. From his word. So just be faithful, friends. I encourage you to sow the seed just as Jesus did there. Get to the point. Don't dilly dally. Don't kind of, you know, get into religious stuff and paraphernalia and all that sort of stuff. Just tell people you must be born again. Pray the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom the way you do that. Amen. Be wise in the way you do that, but get to the point. You must be born again. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It is a living word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that you preserved this word, Lord, down through the ages of time, even though it has been assorted uh, and, and attacked and, and uh, Lord, just, uh, uh, just uh, been opposed in so many different ways. We thank you. You preserved it. We thank you for those who laid down their lives for this word. May we, Lord God, Hold forth the word of God, knowing that it's through the washing of the water of the word that people are born again. Help us, Lord. Lead us by your spirit. And may we have the joy of seeing much fruit in these closing days of time. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Lindsay.